Thanks for joining us for another edition of To The Point, a Bucati Company's podcast to deliver valuable insights into topics that affect HR professionals and business owners. I'm Mary Amundsen, Managing Director of Bucati Companies, and today I'm joined by Pat Looney, a Bucati Principal and Benefits Consultant. So this morning, we're going to discuss why an employer might consider a dependent audit of the group health plan. Pat, I know that a lot of HR teams and owners might not even have a good understanding of what a dependent audit is designed to do. So let's just start by addressing that. What actually is a dependent audit? Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me today. So the dependent audit is just to ensure that the employer is not paying for ineligible dependents. Simply put, it's just a checks and balance of the membership that's on the group health plan. So what's the actual benefit of going through that process? Absolutely, it's just primarily a cost. Um, there is some liability concern where you could have a large claimant uh, be denied by a carrier if they were not appropriately um, eligible for the plan, but primarily cost. Okay, so I guess that means you're paying for bodies that are on the plan that shouldn't be. Are there some type of business or industries that it makes more sense to conduct an audit? I mean, in other words, would every company benefit from an audit? No. Um, we, we feel that there's three primary factors that would come into it. It's not an absolute um, audit necessity for all companies, but one, the larger the company, um, usually the, the opportunity for more savings. And then if you have a dispersed um, group of employees geographically across the country, spread out. And then third is if there's a generous funding for the dependent coverage, so all three of those weigh into how much the cost savings could equate to. So I'm a little familiar, Pat, with what a dependent audit is, but what are some examples of like when actually would an employee put somebody on a plan who's not eligible to enroll in coverage? Uh, just a few simple examples would be um, a divorced spouse um, that could still be on the plan. Uh, one that's very common could be a child um, that is not a legal adopted uh, child, such as, okay, a grandchild on the plan or a niece or nephew that maybe they take care of, but they are not officially adopted. All right. Well, those examples make sense, but I wouldn't think that for any group that there would be more than a handful of those examples. So again, um, help me understand the rationale for dependent audit. Well, that weighs again into is it a fit for every company? And no, it's not. But um, when you get into the larger companies, um, we generally see as an average a 10% is kind of a target. And that can vary anywhere from about 8 to 14%. But as you, as you can tell, if it's a large company, that's a significant number. So when you're saying 8 to 10, you're saying there's as many as 8 to 10% of the dependents are ineligible? That's correct. Oh my gosh. All right, well, I know you've actually worked with a lot of your large accounts to complete a dependent audit. So what kind of costs did they attribute to those ineligible dependents? Well, recently we just did one, and following up on that uh, audit is an employer group with about 3,000 employees. And actually we found 287 of the individuals um, on the dependent coverage um, enrolled. They, we, we dismissed them off the plan, gave them plenty of time to disenroll, and it equaled a little over a million dollars in savings. Well, gosh, I mean, that example is a 
perfect example of that 10% of your dependents. You said 3,000 employee, employees, and you found close to 280-something dependents. So um, Yeah, we're right right under 10% on that target, which wow. again is, is about the norm. Okay. So how do you go about improving a legal dependent? I mean, I have three kids on, on the plan. Um, how do I prove to my employer that these are in fact my children? What do you want me to provide? Um, well, during the audit, I mean, in that particular example, we would ask for uh, birth certificates. Okay. Um, you know, marriage licenses um, or a tax form. Um, a lot of times you get into, okay, a couple's married and, okay, well, we just need, you know, the marriage license. Oh, well, we're really never not officially married. So, I mean, there is a little bit of pain um, on the front end of it, uh, but it really is. Again, it's an audit. It's a cleanup of the overall census. Okay, so if I was one of those employees who put, let's say, a grandchild who's not a legal um, guardian of mine, what happens to that employee? I mean, are they are they fined? Do they have to? Um, I mean, do they jeopardize their job security even? No, we were we very um, cognitive of how we communicate this because obviously it can have a negative connotation. Um, in effect, oh, why are you doing this? Um, and in that particular case, you know, what you're asking, we always suggest to have a grace period. Um, the employees, no, nobody should be terminated in our opinion for this. Um, we just want to allow them, hey, here's a period uh, that's coming up, and at that point, they're taken off the plan. and um, No harm, no foul. That's exactly right. All right, so kind of an amnesty period where Absolutely. You, you comply with the audit, you, you make the necessary changes, then it's all good going forward. So generally, do employers, do they conduct an audit internally, or do they use an outside firm? Um, you could do it internally, but um, majority of the time in our experience, we do recommend um, to have it performed by an outside firm. Uh, it just it's it's a pretty large undertaking on the front end. Now the good news is once um, we've accomplished and, and finalized the audit. Uh, everything is clean, and then at that time, we do encourage the HR, obviously, to keep records and to make sure every new hire um, that they're performing at, at their open enrollment period for a new hire of, okay, we do need those birth certificates, okay. those marriage licenses. So you're kind of doing a cleanup, and then they just establish a practice um, going forward that says all new hires I want to see that birth certificate I want to see that marriage license I want to see that tax form and basically if you're doing that then you really only need to do an independent or a dependent audit once that's exactly right we really um, we would not even encourage a dependent audit if the HR um, was not willing to continue to keep that census clean because then it does start to have a little bit of kind of a futile effort. Funky, yeah. yeah. So um, it's a two-fold process. Okay. Well, um, you, you referenced it a little earlier, but I would think employer reaction to an audit would be a little mixed. So, um, what are you finding? Um, well, I think it's again, it's all about how it's communicated and the timeline it is. Um, so, from a how. Um, we just want to make sure that they understand we're just trying to be good stewards of the limited resources 
um, that we've got in, in order to continue to offer excellent benefits. Um, so generally once we've gotten through that, um, they understand it. Obviously the ones that know that they, they probably shouldn't have these ineligible dependents on there, they're not very happy. But um, they don't have a lot of room to stand on, probably. No, and and, and and so that's why, again, it's that timeline. We don't come in and say, okay, hey, next month we're doing an independent audit. We do believe a four month window is kind of an ideal um, period mm -hmm. to say, okay, let's um, go ahead, communicate to the employees that we are doing this, um, and then that gives them time. Yeah. Is there a better time of year? Like, would you recommend? If you hadn't ever done an audit, would you recommend doing it prior to open enrollment, just after open enrollment, mid-plan year, or is it, you know? Good question. It's It ties back to that, that timing, you know, that four-month window. Okay. So um, open enrollment can be obviously um, a little overwhelming, So, um, but it can be an ideal opportunity to do this. And so if it's an easy open enrollment, hey, you're not making a lot of plan changes, um, that is one window and again let people know four months in advance but even the larger employers that we're dealing with this which actually we're just getting ready to do one for um, a group of ours they've got about 6,000 employees oh my. and we're going to um, do it after open enrollment so during open enrollment is we are we're conveying to the employees hey this is going to happen um, and so everybody understands why it's happening and when it's going to happen and you know we do expect I mean in that particular group we're expecting a huge uh, that's a like a almost a 60 million dollar spend they have on their benefits so I mean yeah they could save 10% um, it, I know not 10% of dependents but just 10% of cost that, that oh, would yeah. be huge we're, we are definitely expecting in the millions wow. um, and again, the, the important factor was, hey, we're cleaning it up um, and they're dispersed over 50 states and then we've got to keep it clean moving forward. So how, how if you use an outside firm, how much does it cost? Oh, it could vary. That's where actually we come into play as well. It's just a percentage of savings. So you're so, negotiating that. Absolutely. We've got a few firms that we uh, utilize often and so we've actually got some bundled pricing but um, that's the beauty is there really is no cost to the employer it's just savings um, and so we just tie a percentage of savings to the uh, firm outside firm that's doing it well yeah just like that one example you said a million dollars in savings if employees could say hey take that million dollars and help reduce our cost for those who legitimately should be on the plan I think that would be a win for employees so I I can see, like you say, messaging is everything. It is, and and then when we're done, um, you know, getting those results out to um, the employees as well. I mean, that again is up to each employer's culture. But a lot of times, okay, why did you do this? You know, hey, I've got I've got four kids myself. You know, it is a little bit of a hassle to get the birth certificates, get the marriage license. Why are you making me go through this? And then all of a sudden, I find out, wow, we just saved three, four million dollars on our plan that mm -hmm. we're able to utilize to keep the benefits package going, then it becomes, all right, thank, thank you. Right.
Great. Well, Pat, I know we didn't, you know, do a really deep dive on this topic, but I, I hope those who are joining us today can see that there's value to it. It's not for every group. I think we can take that away today. There's reasons why you do it, and if you do it right, you're only going to have to do it one time. So thanks for sharing your insight. Um, I knew that you had done a couple of these with your large accounts. Um, and I just want to thank everyone today who's listening to our To The Point podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about Bucati services, visit our website at www.bucati.com, where you can check out our growing podcast library. Thanks for joining. Thank you.